Oh, it happened again. I was not expecting this. Uh, the first service, I was told I was going to be talking to first and third graders. So then the second, I said, is it going to be realistic? Yeah, it's going to be first through third graders. I don't need this anymore, Gino. Good morning, Word of Grace. I'm family pastor Spencer Label. Usually, I'm talking to kids in the Emerge Room or the youth or the Roots or the Sprouts, but today I get a special treat and I get to talk to you guys. And I got to be real with you for a minute. This is only my second sermon ever speaking in front of a group like this, so my nerves are still a little bit high. But the good news is that I don't stand up here preaching the Word of God on my own strength. I do it on the strength of the Holy Spirit and God's word. And God's word is sufficient enough in this moment to change hearts and minds. I'm reminded of a story of a missionary from Africa, and he went out into a remote village to go sell Bibles. So he's on the street selling Bibles, and a gentleman is walking by, and he goes, hey, would you like to purchase a Bible from me? And he says, no, I don't want that Bible. In fact, the words in there pollute people. No good. I don't want anything to do with it. And the missionary says, here, just, just take it. So the guy takes it, and he's paging through, and he notices all the thin pages, and he says, you're just going to give me this Bible? I can have this book with all this paper? And the missionary says, yeah, you can have it. And the guy says, I don't want it for the words. I want it because of all the beautiful thin pages. I can use the paper here to roll cigarettes for a long time. And the missionary thought for a second. And he says, all right, you can have this book for that purpose. But you have to promise me that before you rip each, each page out to smoke it, you are going to read it. And the guy in the street said, sure, I'll do that. I'll read the pages before I rip them out. And that was it. They parted ways. A couple years later, the missionary is in the same village in a tent meeting, and he had just gotten done speaking to the people. And a guy stands up from the back, and he says, hey, I'd like to say something. And the missionary says, go ahead. What do you have to say? And the guy says, you don't remember me because this was years ago but you were on the street selling Bibles and you urged me to take one and I wanted nothing to do with it. So much to the fact that I said, if you gave me this Bible, I was going to rip the pages out and use them for rolling cigarettes and I was going to smoke them. But you made me promise that before I ripped each page out, I would read each page. So, I was smoking my way through Matthew. <laughs> I smoked Mark, and I smoked all of Luke. And I was smoking my way into John, and I got to John chapter 3, verse 16, and I saw the light, and my life was changed, and I chose Jesus as my Savior. Word of grace, see the sufficiency of God's word. We need nothing else to change our hearts and minds. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for these moments where we can dive into your word and see its sufficiency. God, we just thank you for your word. And God, I pray this morning that nothing but truth would come out of my mouth and we would only see truth. God, send your Holy Spirit upon this place and enlighten us. Let us see your word the way you want us to see it. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So if you're new to Word of Grace, you're visiting, we are in a corporate, year-long Bible reading plan as a church. We are reading through the whole Bible to get the Bible as a whole story. As the Bible has one author, there is one story. So corporately as a church, we're in this Foundations 260 Bible reading plan where we're reading the Bible together week by week. And we're finishing up week 11, going into week 12. And if you have fallen off the wagon, or if you're new, this is no better time to start again. If you've fallen off the wagon, put a mark there. Start, pick up with us. Because I have two promises for you today. One we're going to get to in a little bit. But the first promise, I'm going to promise you today that if you get into this word and you start reading this word daily, I can promise you that your relationship with Jesus is going to grow exponentially. That is a promise. Your families will be strengthened. Your marriages will be strengthened. God's word is sufficient. Let it work for you, church. So get back into it. If you're new as well, there are the programs out at the info desk. And you can grab them there, and it's the reading plan for all ages, tailored to the age that is reading. So over the past week, we've read the tail end of um, Numbers and into Deuteronomy. And we saw a lot of things happen. We saw Moses striking a rock, being banished from the promised land because of his lack of faith. We saw Aaron also being banished from the promised land. And what we see here is God's perfect character on display. His need for justice, his perfection, his love. And then we see Joshua being chosen as the next leader of Israel. And lastly, we see God practically and lovingly leading his people. The Israelites were a people that were either in captivity or they were wandering around in the desert. They didn't really have much of an idea on how to run a society. So God lovingly gives them commands. He even gives them commands on how to set up the boundaries of their, of their territory. He gives them commands on how to um, classify refuge cities. He even instructs them on how to try and punish murderers. God knows full well that we cannot live up to the commands in this book. But he doesn't leave the Israelites or us to figure it out. He lovingly guides us with his word. He even gives the Israelites the most intricate details of how their society should operate. And then we come into the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth and final book of the Torah, or the law. And if we look at the, the name Deuteronomy, it gives us context as to what this book is going to be about. And if we translate it, Greek and Hebrew, we see that this is the second or repeated law. We've already seen the law in Exodus. We've already seen the law in Leviticus. This is the repeated law. And we'll get into why that is in a second as I show you the structure of this book. And this book is significant in many ways. So first off, as any book in the Bible, this is the inspired word of God. God wants us to read this word. Not only does he want us to read this word, he wants us to learn this word, study this word. We're going to look at some, some Hebrew words today and translate them. We're going to get into the deep parts of this text, and God wants us to do that. He wants us to understand what we're reading. And then once we do that, we meditate. We meditate on this word. We think about it. 
We think about how it impacts us. We think about how we can apply it to our everyday lives. We think about how we can have this word impact the way we, way we act when we're around others, the way we love our families, the way we live our lives. He wants us to ask how we can apply this. And then he wants us to pray this word. Literally, pray this word. There are moments I'm sure we have all gotten into where, wow, that would be an amazing prayer of praise to our God. Or he wants us to pray provision from this word. He wants us to get into this word and pray it. Pray it and pray about it. We should be praying that we are enlightened to this word when we get into it. We should pray that we see the truth behind it, that we understand it. And lastly, we pray that we should be able to keep this word and know it and remember it. So that in the last thing that God wants us to do with the word, we can remember these, this text that we read and we can use it for truth and teaching people because the last thing God wants us to do is he wants us to go out and share this word among all nations. Not just keep it inside our homes, keep it inside this church, but go out and share this word. Don't just keep it to yourself. God wants his word to be told to everybody. This book also shapes later readings of Joshua Judges, and Samuel, and Kings. And then the literary structure of this book is really neat as well. So there's three main speeches of Moses. So the first, the outer frame, we'll call it, Moses' first speech, and that is Moses telling the Israelites, or reminding the Israelites, of their people's past, so that they don't make the same mistakes that generations before them made. This way they can see the faults and be aware of them. Then inside of that is the core of Deuteronomy, which is verses 4 through 28. And this is a complete exposition of the Ten Commandments. So very detailed look of all the commandments. And that's where we're going to set up shop today. And then outside of that is the other side of the frame, and that's Moses' last speech, and that's the renewal of the covenant. So as we dive into Deuteronomy 4, Moses is going to set the stage for the importance of God's word and an urgency to obey. So let's read Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 9. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous, all this law that I set before you today? Only take care. And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Moses, right off the bat here, is showing the Israelites that by obeying, they're going to set themselves apart. Look in verse 6 and 7. He says to keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. That when they hear of these laws and statutes that they're abiding in, will say, wow, their God is close to them. 
so close that whenever they call upon him, he answers. Their obedience brings glory to God. We are in existence to glorify God. Everything we are, everything that we do, everything in creation was created to glorify God. And by seeing his word and obeying his word, we bring glory to him. I am not even up here for my own accolades or your high fives later, which I probably won't even get. But I am up here in pure and utter obedience to glorify God. And that's how we need to be living our lives. We need to be living our lives as we're out in the streets, as we're in the grocery stores, as we're in the hall, in the commons of the church, as we're picking our kids up from school. Whatever we do, we need to glorify God. And we read God's word for what we are supposed to do. I'm thinking of a story when I was an unsaved Christian, and I'm not even sure if those two words go together. Um, I believed that Jesus died, but I was not saved. And in that time of my life, I was angry, and I was impatient, and I was distant as a father. And I cut myself down right now to ultimately magnify God and glorify him because he does amazing things. But I had a friend during that time that my time of anger and impatience, I watched him so patient with his kids, so kind, soft-spoken. Even when things were going wrong or when his kids misbehaved, he, was, he had no effect. He was steady. He was calm. He was quiet. He was loving. He was wise. And the Holy Spirit started to work on me. And that started to become really appealing to me. Something in me changed. And I saw that his obedience to God's word was something that I needed to do. So our obedience to God's word brings him glory. And then in verse 9, Moses urges them not to forget their past. He says, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. He's warning them of things that drew them away from God. As Christians, we need to constantly be aware of moments in our lives that draw us to or away from God. There are all kinds of things in our lives that do one or the other. And I'm familiar with a, a thing just recently, and maybe some of you guys can relate, but the Ukraine war and the 24-hour news cycle is compelling. News is always changing, constantly changing. It's never the same. So to me, I felt like I needed to watch and see what was going on. The trouble with that is I became consumed by it. And it drew me away from times where I normally would have been getting into God's word or prayer or even just thinking about those things that are lovely and good, as scripture says. And so now as I look back on that, I'm reminded of times when I'm, I'm pulled away from God in that direct context. We should always be evaluating. And it's not that things like the news and things that may consume us are bad. Although the news is pretty terrible right now in itself. 
But these things aren't bad, but we should not let ourselves get consumed by them. We need to keep our eyes on God. And then as we get into the text also in verse 9, we see the words used here to signify urgency. And as Westerners, we read this and we don't quite get a grasp on what the words are saying here. But if we look closely, and again, this is what God wants us to do with his word. Look closely in it. Learn it. Study it. And that's what we're going to do right now. He says, take care and keep your souls diligently. And the ESV version kind of combines all these Hebrew words a little bit. If you look at the NIV, it splits them up and it'd be a little easier to see. But just know the fact that shamar is, used, is the Hebrew word and it's used twice. And miod is the other Hebrew word and it's used along with shamar to show this urgency. And I'll explain it. So shamar means to keep, preserve, and watch. And then it's used twice. So watch, preserve, keep your soul and then it's used with the word miod to show us this great urgency. And miod means that it pertains to a high scale or very or greatly. And if we think back to Genesis 1.31, this actually was used previously. God had just got done creating the earth and he sits back on the sixth day and he overlooks creation. And what did he say? He said it was very good. Miod, good. The imagery here is like when you're at a restaurant and you had the best meal of your life and you'd be like, that was really good. Like so good, I can't, even, I can't even put words to it. Or when your kids do the cutest thing imaginable, it actually hurts to watch. You're looking back at videos and you're like, oh, I just had that instance the other day. And that is the imagery. This is urgent, urgent news. Urgent stuff to look at here in Deuteronomy. And implications of not heeding these warnings are serious. And we know this from our personal lives. Implications of not heeding warnings can lead to injury or death. We have warnings all over. We have warnings in our car seats. We have warnings equipment. We have warnings on the roads. We have speed limit signs. And if we don't follow the speed limits, what can happen? We can get a ticket. We can get hurt. We can get in a crash. We could be injured. We could be killed. And in life, not following these warnings can have great implications. If you think, or I think back to um, my first career, and if you don't know, I used to be a full-time firefighter paramedic, and we had a structure fire one day. We had um, lightning had struck a house, and the attic was on fire. So we get there, and we go in through the front door, and we're in the living room, and we're working, and the fire was above us. So we had to pull down the ceilings to, to get at the fire. So we're pulling down the ceilings, and in a matter of a second, I heard this loud rush, and I knew what was happening. And the roof was coming down on us. And I quickly turned and dove down a hallway on my belly, and thank goodness I was in my early 20s, because I'm only in my mid-30s, but I could move fast back then. Man, it was either that or adrenaline, but one of the two things happened. I moved fast in the blink of an eye. But after the dust settled, spark settled, I got up, and I realized, oh no, my buddies are in the living room. And I run around the corner, and amazingly, my captain was knocked out, but he got knocked out into a chair. So 
we could quickly get him up, get under his, you know, we got under his arms and we got him out, and he did regain consciousness kind of in that whole movement. And anyways, on our way out, the group is ready to come back in to finish the job, and we said to them, hey, if you're going to go in and pull ceilings, you need to be careful. The, root, the ceilings are weakened, they're one-inch thick plaster, and they want to come down in one sheet, so be careful. And we escorted my captain to the ambulance, and we're working on them, and more than a couple minutes later, we heard that same rush again. And they didn't quite heed our warnings. And them not heeding our warnings could have resulted in bodily injury or death. And we didn't just tell them this because we wanted to have them have a good time. Or we, we knew they wanted to hear something great. Same goes for the word here. God isn't just telling some of these these statutes or these things he wants to guide us with for our fun. He's doing it because our life depends on it. We need to read this word like our life and our children's lives depend on it because they do eternally. And we see this as we look at Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 19. And we read on. Therefore, watch. There's that word again. Watch. Urgency. Watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or, or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. So immediately Moses is directing the Israelites to look at the fact that all the nations around them have multiple gods and the fact that their gods are tangible, made of metals, things that are shiny, things they can touch. And he's warning them because God is of no form, he's of spirit. And as Christians, we know God is, is very real in our lives and very accessible. But he's not a shiny statue. And we were created as humans to be infatuated with something. We were made to worship and what we were made to worship is God. So he's warning the Israelites, be careful. Because those things that the other, the other nations have created are shiny. And they're a form. And you might want to worship them instead. This is sounding a lot like our everyday lives, isn't it? There's things all over our lives that could be elements of worship. Food. Sports. Even our kids could be elements of worship to us if we're not careful. And there is great urgency here, great urgency to take care that we do not let these things be an object of our worship. Worship the creator, not the creation. And Moses warns the people not to create, um, corrupt their hearts and to not confuse the creator with the creature. And Paul alludes to this fact in Romans 1, and I didn't actually even read this in the first service for some reason, but I'll read it now and it's not up on the board. And I'll start at 22. 
But claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So from this text in Deuteronomy, and we see Paul allude to this and repeat this, but from this text in Deuteronomy, we see the order of creation. We see that God is sovereign over all and demands our worship. We worship the creator. We worship our God, the God we're praising and learning about this morning, not the creation. Our creation is beautiful. Our creations are blessings, and they're not bad in and of themselves. Do not let creation consume you. Worship our creator. And then we get to Deuteronomy 6. This next text sums up all we are to do as God's people, the greatest commandment. And let's read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that is the greatest commandment. And we need to again study this text to get an understanding of what exactly is meant here. Because we see the word here, O Israel, we're thinking, yeah, I need to hear this word. But that's not quite what it means. This word here was translated from the word Shema. In fact, verses 4 and 5 were so impactful and such a devotion to one, our one true God that Jews for generations have been praying this prayer as a, daily devo- as a daily devotion and prayer to our one God. And that prayer is called the Shema after the first words of this text. And to understand how we need to see this text, we need to understand what that word Shema means. And the word Shema means to hear, yes, but also to obey and to do we are to not only hear this word, but we're to obey it. Let it impact you. Follow the words on these pages. Because simply hearing is not to shema. To shema means you actually heard it and you did it and you put it into practice and you obeyed. That is the shema. And then we see the word Lord used. Up there, it's not capitalized, but in your Bibles, you will see capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, our God. And that is speaking to the personal name for our God that we are worshiping today, that we are learning about today. And then we see the Lord, our God. We see our used, because this isn't just speaking to one person. This is talking about a unified people, unified as God's people under one God, following and devoting themselves to one God. And we see the Lord is one. As I just spoke to before, all around them, 
are nations with multiple gods. And Moses is saying here that they need to be devoted to one God. Because there is only one God to be praised and glorified. And our purpose on this creation is to glorify God. And not just in the happy, fun times. But in the terrible times, the pain, the heartache. Because a lot of you in here have experienced this already. But just know, the longer you're alive, Christian, you're going to have a good chance that something in your life is going to happen and it's going to be catastrophic and it's going to hurt. But we even glorify God in those moments. We need to constantly read this word so we are prepared for those moments because God created us for those moments. When it's tough and things are going bad, our story is being written in those moments to glorify him. And then in verse 5, we must love the God, love our God with every part of our being. Heart, soul, and mind. And heart might. And heart is actually speaking to mind. And soul is speaking to what we are to our core in the most basic sense. The part of us that's going to go out into the sanctuary after and mingle and talk and fellowship, that's our soul. And then our might. We are to do this with everything that we have in us. And this extends to the urgency and ferocity we are to love the Lord, our God. And then in verse 6, and these words that I command you today, these words, the entire covenant text, it's so easy today to pick things out of the Bible that align with us, right? But we are to look at this entire text as a command to us. Not cherry-picking the Bible, but looking at the Bible as a whole. And then lastly, that we are to have these words on our heart. And he's speaking to our mind, that we are to meditate. Think about this word, study this word, learn this word, love this word. Take this word in every chance you can get. The Shema is an urgent call to follow God with everything we are, everything we have, and everything we intend to be. God demands our exclusive, all-inclusive devotion and worship. God demands our exclusive devotion and worship. Exclusive, only him. Keep your eyes on the creator, not the creation. Don't let the things of the world take you away from him. Exclusively devoted to God. And then all-inclusively devoted with everything that we are, with everything that we have, our families, our money, our belongings, our time, everything that we have inclusively needs to be devoted to God and his worship. And what are we supposed to do with these words? Well, in verse 7 through 9, it speaks plainly here that we shall teach them diligently to our children. Constantly teach this word to your kids. In the NIV translation, it states that we are to impress these words on our children. And NLT states that we are to repeat these words again and again. 
never ceasing to teach these words to our children. The imagery here is that we are to engrave this word like that of text on a granite stone. And think about it, as you're chiseling by hand, it's a long, arduous task, difficult. In fact, as you got near to the end, you'd have bleeding blisters on your hands and pain because the work is hard. And if you have teenagers in your house, you're sitting at your 15 right now, 16, 17, 18, and you're, it hurts, right? It's a struggle to continually impress this word. We do it to glorify God, and we need to do this. Because once we're done, and though the task is difficult, like in granite, hand engraved, this word will be there forever. And when you're done engraving this text, don't just send them off. Continually polish that stone. Let those words shine. Instruct your kids. Even if they're out of the house, continue to instruct them in the word. Give them wisdom from the Bible and God's word. They need that. Just because they're out of the house doesn't mean they don't need to hear truth being spoken to them by their parents. And then how are we to do this with our kids? Well, we should talk of them when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise. We even should bind these as a sign on our hand, on the doorposts, gates at our house. I'm not advocating tattoos, but this is the urgency and, and, and ferocity as to how we are to do this. Bind it on your hand. We shall never cease to teach this word to our children. And in the 21st century, we have creative ways to do this. We have moments, more moments in our lives now than ever to be able to infuse the word of God into our kids. But just know no matter what we do, the core of our teaching needs to be God's word. But use these moments, parents, as you learn this word and soak it up and store this word in your heart, use that and the moments that God gives you throughout the day to teach them about God's word. Whether you're at the store on errands, whether you're picking them up from school, taking them to school, those are pretty good conversations, right? Those are good conversations. Those are some of our best. Use moments like that to infuse God's word into your children's lives. Even times when they're disciplining or things might be a negative, use that and speak truth to them. Pray that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would empower us as parents to be able to affect truth and the gospel to our children in moments all throughout our days. And then let your children see you in the word. Let them see you praying and worshiping. Model this exclusive and all-inclusive devotion and worship to God. And Jesus repeats this command in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. And let me give you a little context for this, for this text. So the Sadducees had just been silenced by Jesus, and the Pharisees are coming, and they're thinking, well, we're going to trap Jesus in his speech here. We're going to ask him what the greatest commandment is. 
So they do, and Jesus answers with this. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus' message was polarizing to the Jewish teachers because they didn't get the point. And the point is this in Matthew 5, starting in 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever lacks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. They understood the law as a hierarchy. As you do this and you get God. Or you do this and you draw closer to God. But with Christ, that's all changed. So Christians, stop trying to win and work your way to the favor and salvation of God. It's been paid for you already. This all changed with Christ's death and resurrection. If you're new to church and you've never heard the gospel, or if you're a mature Christian and you've been hearing the gospel for 80 years, Hearing the gospel as mature believers strengthens us, encourages us, helps us set our eyes on the one we are to set our eyes on too. And if you're new here and you've never heard this message before, let me share it with you today. In Genesis chapter 3, the first man and woman sinned against God and rebelled against God's commands. Because of that, we were eternally separated from God. And because of that, we were destined for eternal punishment because of that sin. A punishment that was torture and death forever. So much that a million years into your torture, you look back and you realize you are no closer than when you first began. But I have good news today. Through the power of God and Jesus Christ's resurrection, we aren't dead. We are alive. God, in his perfect plan and compassion for us, sent his son Jesus into this earth, both fully God and man, to live a perfect life sinless. He was able to fulfill the law and live perfectly. He had no guilt, no sin. Even though he was guiltless, he was betrayed, tried, he was beaten, tortured, hung on a cross, crucified, died, and was buried. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead, beating sin, death, and the devil. And because of that, if you put your faith and hope in Christ and repent of your sins, you are saved forever from this eternal torture, and you are with him forever. In perfection glorifying him. Through our repentance comes a heart change. And out of that pours a love for God that should drive us to want to fulfill the greatest commandment. A changed heart through Christ alone drives us to follow the greatest commandment. 
And once our hearts have been changed, should we expect perfection? No. We still sin. We still mess up. But every time we do, our slate is wiped clean. And should we expect our lives to go perfectly? No. We're told in Scripture that as we draw closer to Jesus, we will encounter hardships. In fact, if minus the betrayer, which is Judas, 10 out of the 11, from what we know, 10 out of the 11 disciples died a martyr's death. But our goal isn't this earth. Our goal is to glorify God and to spread this gospel truth to all nations. We bring glory to God on this earth by striving to know him each day, by getting into his word, reading this word, knowing this word, loving this word. Christians, commit time to knowing this word. Our lives depend on it. Your kids' lives depend on it. The people you love around you depend on it. And then teach the word to your children because as you do, they are going to go out and multiply for God's kingdom. They're going to bring glory to him through spreading the word. I'm reminded of Psalm 127. Our arrows are full, or our quivers are full of arrows that are like children and we fire them downrange on target. And on target is that, that they propel the gospel forward. Our children are not ours. They are temporary. They are given to us to raise for God that he has somebody, millions, going out to share the good news to those who need it. And lastly, out of this abundance, we spread the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And that bring, brings God glory. And all the while we do this by pressing on, straining, and striving for the end goal. And what is this end goal? Paul tells us in Philippians 3.11 that by any means possible he may attain resurrection from the dead. Any means possible. He may attain resurrection. And that's our promise through Christ. Resurrection, living eternally in perfect harmony and glory with God. That is our promise. And what do we do when we attain resurrection? We glorify God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel message. Thank you for saving us from this certain death, from our sin. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that your gospel message stirred today, just effect on them change, God. Change their heart. Let them not reject this word. And God, I pray for all of us that we would take this word out of the walls of this church. Let it affect a change in our lives. Let it change the way we live. Let it change the way we impact those around us, God. I pray that parents, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would be empowered to lead their children well. Give them an affection for the word, an affection to, to share this word with their kids. God, we thank you and we bring you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Word of grace, if you can please stand. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today should be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. It shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You are dismissed.